Hey, this is a disclaimer that we are not historians. We're comedians who enjoy history, gossip, and each other's company. Everything discussed is true to the best of our sexy knowledge. Also, this show is not for kids. There will be death, sex, and swearing. We want to make you feel good, but history gets pretty dark. So make sure to check the show notes for more details before listening. Historical Hookups. Hello and welcome to Historical Hookups. I'm Lauren. I'm Sarah. I'm Nalinda. And I'm Savannah. And for those of you just tuning in, we are a podcast that goes back through time to dig into the love lives of historical figures. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everybody. Hey. Hey. We're so glad you're here. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And this is a special episode because we, it's to celebrate the 20s coming back, right? Yeah. We're now in 2020. We made it. Guys, (laughs) Guys, two <laughs> K roaring twenties. Did not think we would. Yeah, it was it's pretty yeah. dicey there. I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. The uh, last pa- couple of years, I was really like, no, twenty twenty is not going to happen. Nope. But then it did. It, it, it's happening. And so far, <laughs> we're in one piece. For better or worse, uh, we made it. <laughs> so uh, we start our episodes off with either a sexy or historical question. So uh, Sarah, let's kick it off with a question. Uh, because it is now 2020, uh, and I still like to think about the Growing Twenties, even though it was mostly a shit show. <laughs> what from the Growing Twenties, the 1920s, do you want to bring back now that we're 20s again? Mm. Opium. Just kidding. Not opium. <laughs> yeah, you can still get that, Savannah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it ever left. Never no, left. It's still around. Mm. I want, I would say, like, the big, lavish parties. Mm. Like straight up partying until morning and sometimes completely keep doing it. Yeah. Like I feel like people partied hard back in the Rory 20s. That's but they were fair. also looked so damn good when they were doing it. Yeah. The look. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I'm going to say flapper dresses. Nice. I'm a big fan of, of that style. Style from the. So yeah, I guess fashion. Yeah. Okay. Bringing it back. Except I don't look good at flapper dresses. Yeah, I, oh, no. I, I would not bring back flapper dresses because I don't have the shape for them. Yeah. But I, I would oh. bring back that flapper bob cut. Yeah. Because I, I recently got a pretty short haircut and I was like, you know what? I'm loving it. Nice. That's good. Savannah? I can't keep opium. I'm going to oh, keep opium. No, no, keep opium. Keep opium. She's like, I said my answer. I said my answer, guys. Uh, I'm going to also, I'm just going to piggyback on the, uh, on the hairstyle. Yeah. I love a shortcut. I love a shortcut on a gal. Nice. And uh, I'm I'm gonna peek back on opium, not opium, <laughs> but I uh, the speakeasies. Oh, there's yeah. actually like there's a lot of speakeasies in Los Angeles, and I'm into them. I'm yeah. into the fact that you have to pretend you're going into a different restaurant first. It's uh, so stupid, yeah. and the drinks are way too expensive, and I love it. <laughs> Same. If I don't yeah. go through a snack machine. Or, or refrigerator, refrigerator. <laughs> refrigerator yeah. or some kind of appliance that's crazy, mm-hmm. then I don't want to go to this club yeah. that you're taking me to. What, a boring door with a guy in the front? No way. Okay. No, thank you. <laughs> I want to have to do an escape room to get to the bar. <laughs> to get- <laughs> yeah, and then pay $20 minimum for a middle-of-the-road cocktail. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. then I can't find my way out, so maybe I get a second cocktail. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll bring back... Um, Cocktail prices from the 20s. Oh, I like that one. Yes. Lots cheap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's bring back those 20 prices. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's five cents. Yeah, I just also like that, you know, feeling of danger because you weren't allowed to have alcohol. So True, true. Yeah. Exactly. yeah it just made the like, drink taste so much better. That's true. That's true. Also, I feel like men dressed better in the 20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like women have been keeping it up the whole time, but I think well, men dress better in the 20s. <laughs> we have to. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Ugh, men. But also, like, didn't men just, like, they just always wore suits? Yeah, but yeah. they looked good. That's <laughs> yeah. true. Because you only had a few suits, so they were tailored. <laughs> true, true. Oh, yeah. I would like that kind of bring back sustainable fashion, basically. Yes. <laughs> Where you would go to the department store, and it would be just a bunch of women modeling clothes, and you're like, that one, and that one, and that one, and then you try them on, and then they tailor it to you. Ooh. That's your, like, outfits for the year. Oh, yeah. Your weight better not fluctuate because that's the mm-hmm. one you got. Yeah, we should definitely bring back sexy and sustainable fashion. <laughs> yes. yep. 
Great. All right. So for today's episode, our two educators are Nalinda and Savannah. So would you like to tell us about who we will be learning about today? Yes. Oh, yeah. We're on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So awkward right now. <laughs> uh, we are, we are going to learn about Louise Brooks, who was a very famous silent film star back in the 1920s. She was born in Cherryville, Kansas, November 14th, 1906. Her father was Leonard Porter Brooks, who was a lawyer, and her mother was Myra Brooks, Brooks, who was a modern woman at the time. She was very active in the movement for women's rights to vote. She was also an avid reader, and she was an accomplished pianist. So she was kind of a kind of the top of a top of a lady at that time. Uh, well educated, that's you know that wasn't common in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, because of that, she felt that raising children wasn't for her. Oh. So she married uh, Leonard and told him that uh, any squalling brats she produced could take care of themselves. Damn. (laughs) Cold. Basically, she's like, I'll have your children, but I don't want to take care of them. I'd rather be reading and playing the piano. Did she just have the one? She she had a brother, right? Yeah, she had a brother. She had a couple children. Multiple squalling Mm -hmm. brats. Okay. Basically, she would later abandon her children. Oof. But not before she turned Louise into a dance prodigy and had her starting to dance by the age of six. Wow. What's great about Louise Brooks is that later in life, she uh, she wrote about her like her life and her time in Hollywood. But uh, So we have a couple of excerpts of the book Lulu in Hollywood mm-hmm. uh, that was a sort of memoir. And describing her childhood, uh, she wrote, Our house in Wichita, a 14-room gray-framed structure, was literally falling down with books. The foundations on the right, the right side had sunk 11 inches from the weight of books in father's third-floor retreat. When my older brother and I got into a fight, my father would retire to his law books and violin on the third floor. And my mother, whose sense of the absurd almost always reduced crime and punishment to laughter, often simply laughed. One day I ran to her to confess, to confess I smashed a cup from her best set of china and without looking at me she said now dear don't bother me while i'm memorizing bach so this kind of like the vibe in her house is just like wow. do whatever you want to do sure um yeah they were never punished they were basically like one time she told her dad that her brother pushed him down the stairs from like the back stairs and he told her well he, it was better if he uh, pushed you down the front stairs because he would have got more air or something along that line like Jeez. just Everything was a joke. Nothing was like, they were never scolded. Wow. So instead of scolding, he just uh, critiqued the abuse. (laughs) Shows, pointed out points of improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Was she a dance prodigy or was she just trying to like wave her hands in front of a mom while she played piano (laughs) and her mom was like, that almost looks like dancing. (laughs) You got something. Yes, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Unfortunately, when Louise was nine nine years old, she was... uh, molested by a neighbor down the street. When she told her mother this, her mother was furious with Louise and said that she must have done something. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. uh, (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to, we should retract that modern woman. Yeah. Bullshit. So that, like, really shows just um, her relationship with her mother and basically her relationship with just everyone where I think it kind of started off where... It's, the like, the family dynamic. Yeah, the family. And and it also... uh, I mean, I think when something traumatic happens to you early on, uh, especially like sexually as a young woman, it, it tor- sort of like paints the rest of your experiences for mm-hmm. the rest of your life um, because you're just more aware of yeah. things that you probably shouldn't have been aware of so early. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and it doesn't seem as precious, maybe, you know, like it's not, she was very, later in life, she was very sort of like liberal sexually. Yeah. And I think I she contributes it to being to this experience when yeah, she was she a does. child oh that's sad it is <laughs> i mean i i think it's great that she was you know like a sexually liberated woman yeah but it sucks that she feels like it stemmed from abuse mm-hmm. yeah uh, abuse that she was blamed for that's yeah. very sad but i do no. think it's cool that she was like open She's enough to open tell people it. about it because i think that's like such a mm-hmm. i feel like this happens and yeah probably not the only one so yeah, definitely not. Yeah. Yeah, especially back then, because back then the attitude was uh, what her mother said, which is mm-hmm. like, it's uh, it's on you if that happens to you. So it's even braver than it is now, where we have a, a much kinder, more 
believe victims. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but there are still people who you know, have that mentality. Yeah. And it sucks. Oh, God. Guys, is this a comedy podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I know. All right. <laughs> anyway. We just need to establish that. Mm-hmm. That is her history. It's yeah. there. So um, by the age of 14, she was an accomplished dancer uh, dancing all around Kansas. At that time, she saw this really famous dance company come to Kansas and was like, oh, I want to do that. And it was the Denishon Company. At 15, she left Kansas and went to New York. At the end of the summer that she left, she was touring with that company. So she was good. She yes. was good. She Yeah. Man, chasing the dream. That's great that she, like, the, the same company that, like, brought her out of Kansas was like, yeah, we'll take you. Yeah, they were yeah, like, yeah. join us. So at the time, no self-respecting girl would display their legs on stage. And this dance company uh, did. (laughs) They were like sort of a risque company. uh. Yeah, so at the the time, this was kind of like a new way of dancing. Like it was a little freeing, a little... um, They were trying to be kind of like the Russian ballet company and no American company had came close to it. But Denishan was was coming was copying the styles that russia was already doing mm-hmm. that so it was ballet yeah that was ballet okay so this company their founder Ruth saint dennis said that they free the female human body from the ugly crippling unhealthy clothes that prevailed around the turn of the 20th century which is kind of on point with the 1920s where women were you know wearing the flapper dresses and mm-hmm. showing more of the skin and showing more of the legs and just this company was actually kind of representing that where um, they actually got canceled. They were banned from uh, <laughs> performing at Providence, Rhode Island, because the police found out they were going to show their feet, their uh-huh. bare feet. Um. <laughs> they thought that was going to be public nudity. Wow. Thanks, Puritan Northeast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Our policy, it. Rhode Island, holds to this day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Rhode Island. Okay. Rhode Island. But even but then, even if they're... So even then with the plaid costumes, the dancers were supposed to have a very pure image. They're innocent women, even though they had they were showing their feet. Mm-hmm. And of course, <laughs> very um, risque. Brooks wasn't like that. She didn't like those rules. She was more of a jazz woman of the time. Mm-hmm. Brooks would send feet pics, is what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> she would do it. Yeah. She would be on WikiFeet proudly yeah. today. Is that what that, that website's called? Oh, don't pretend like you don't know. <laughs> oh, is that? Yes, is, it is. And yes, it is called Wiggy Feet, it is Wiki as Feet. you know. <laughs> and I'm not on it. Yeah. I'm not either, and I, I'm kind of bothered by that. I wear open-toed shoes. There could be pictures of me out there. There might be. Yeah. I wear socks pretty much 24-7. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck getting a pig. That's what I'll say. Yeah. Well, you'd be welcome in Providence, Rhode Island. So yeah, Brooks would be on WikiFeed during that. Yeah, nice, nice. After two seasons with this company, uh, the founder Ruth St. Dennis dismissed uh, Louise in front of the entire company for her superior attitude, and she was only seventeen. So she was in New York alone <laughs> and had just been fired from her gig, which is a, a bummer time. But she uh, pivoted. Um, and she soon joined George White's Scandals, a Broadway review modeled after the Zigfield uh, Follies. Now she was 17, and she was a scantily clad specialty dancer uh, as a member of this new review. Specialty dancer. Specialty dancer. Ooh. Also, what 17-year-old doesn't have a superior attitude? I know. <laughs> I know. Like, she was really young when most of uh, these things started happening. And I feel like a lot of her reactions are things that we may have all done in, like, high school. Just been like, no, fuck you. I know what's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the best dancer on this team. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, don't hire a 17-year-old if you don't want her to have a little sass. <laughs> yeah, she definitely was one of those 17-year-olds who were like, this is dumb. You're doing this wrong. Nice. To, like, the person that founded this company. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, she was a prodigy. Mm -hmm. She knew what she was working with. I support her. We should show our feet more. (laughs) 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 Well, yeah, during that time, she actually had a lot of uh, admirers. She was being noticed, even though she was 
a dancer, a specialty dancer and kind of a background dancer. And she was also very, very flirty as a 17-year-old girl. And mm-hmm. during that time, um, George Gershwin was one of the composers who uh, Brooks needs to flirt with a lot. And at one point, he told her that when he gets back from Paris, he's going to get her a dog. But when he got back from Paris, she was already bored with the scandals. Uh. <laughs> and she just left. And she's like, so he came back to nothing. Oh. Because she was already bored with it and she didn't want to wait around for him. All right. I mean, <laughs> as long as she did not abandon a dog in this. Uh... She did not. But that is one hell of a pickup line, right, guys? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'll get you a dog. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Which is kind of the theme of, like, during that time where a lot of men... They just like to give presents mm-hmm. without actually kind of expecting anything because they just wanted a beautiful woman mm-hmm. on their arm at the clubs because it's like a sign of wealth. And I'm like, I'm so jealous of that time. Look, <laughs> as someone whose love language is gifts, <laughs> oh. uh, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I'll take that, sure. I just also love it's like, oh man, I'm going to Paris and you'll never guess what I'm bringing back for you. It's a dog I am going to buy in New York. <laughs> <laughs> So she's bored and she leaves the company. And she will go to Europe with her friend Barbara Bennett, who is the sister of a famed actress called Constant Bennett. Mm-hmm. And um, Joan Bennett, too, is another actress. And so the, this is her starting to live kind of the wealthy life because that whole Bennett family was very wealthy. And they would just, they went to uh, London and she was dancing at a Cafe de Paris where it was rumored that she was the first person to show people in England how to do the Charleston. Oh, Ooh. so yeah. she she single handedly brought the Charleston. Yeah, wow, that's an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So far, her and her legs mm-hmm. have done quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is like eighteen years old. So I know. Oh my God. Damn, go. <laughs> so in 1925, she came back to New York, uh, where Zigfield gave her a job in Louis the Fourteenth uh, as a featured dancer. And after one of the performances, the director Teddy Royce said that. Some of these women in the show were just using this as a showcase, and he was referring it to Brooks, um, which, you know, like, it's, like... I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, what else would this be? <laughs> yeah. She told Sigfield how offended she was, and so she was transferred to The Follies. Which was, like, the show to be in. In New York in at New the time, York. yeah. Yeah, so that's she was, not a downgrade. Yeah. Yeah. So she was punished yeah. <laughs> for showcasing herself by getting a promotion. <laughs> okay. I mean, she played the system. She played the system. Well, she played it well. Along with her promotion to the Follies, there were a lot of people who came to go see that show, or came to see that show. One of its biggest fans was Charlie Chaplin. And so he attended uh, her performances frequently. And they uh, had an affair when she was 18, and he was 36, and he was married. (laughs) Cool, 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 cool. uh, But she describes it as an affair that lasted two happy summer months. They would spend most of their time in an apartment, <laughs> but that sounds like they were like fucking the whole time. She she wrote about her time with him, and she said uh, Charlie was sick of being watched in public, sick of entertaining society and the intellectuals who numbered his soul. Most of our time together was spent in a big area apartment atop the Ambassador, where uh, Bloomy played the piano, Peggy sang, I danced, and Charlie returned to reality, the world of his creative imagination. So it sounds like he like they were. But they were also like having fun, creative time together. I also feel like he probably wanted to be in the apartment because he was married and didn't want the papers to be like True. having this young thing. Sure. That's because he's twice her age. Yeah. And a huge <laughs> star. Yeah. He was huge at the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. L- listeners, um, you're dating a guy and he's like, and I just really value our low-key time together. <laughs> I don't know why we have to like go out to public places. Just he's married. Just know that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can confirm. Can <laughs> confirm. As Lauren takes a big drink of her water. I know. So she wrote about Charlie and said his physical presence revealed an exquisiteness the screen could not reflect. Small, perfectly made, meticulously dressed, with his fine gray hair and ivory skin and white teeth. He was as clean as a pearl and glowed all over. Inside, he was glowing too, with the radiant gaiety released by the successful conclusion of two years' work on his film. Yeah, so she wrote about him sort of in mixed ways, right? Yeah. So, like, I feel like early on she wrote about him... And it was, like, positive. She was, like, I got to spend this time with this, like, 
famous man and we had like a fun summer and I was young and whatever. Uh, and then later in life, she kind of criticized him for being, you know, a um, bit of a whore. Yeah. And <laughs> a little, some like predatory behaviors there too. Yeah. I mean, he was, yeah. She like also like talks about how he was kind of just full of himself. Mm. Like, well, she's one to talk, yeah. it sounds like. Because she's like, every time well, there was a letter and she was talking about like uh, him talking about how like he's such a sexual god, like he's so good at this that she was like, no, he was a, just underwhelming. <laughs> yeah, this is the letter I printed it, down, printed it out. She calls him a poodle, which is <laughs> funny. Like that he, uh, Burn. yeah. Oh, it was like his uh, sexual conquest. He's a poodle in bed. That he was just always like after attention and yeah. after like women to get there, you know. To oh, like 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 barking at every skirt yeah. he saw, like a poodle would. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Re- okay. I was I'll like, re- in what way sexual is he a poodle? I have to know. Yeah. Like, is he very curly? Is he very curly? He's very curly. So this is to somebody named Frank, and it was written in 1964. You were right about having a bone to pick with Chaplin. I would have forgiven him everything if he had written a first-rate film book. This he did not. Uh, He did not choose to do because of his vulgar need to please. Like a poodle. At least he has made me understand why I never liked him. When I met him again after New York at the Hollywood home of Arthur Hornblow, I did not speak but moved into a corner. From that lovely vantage point, I watched him doing all his tricks, like a poodle, for Garbo, whom he had just met. She sat smugly on the arm of a chair, leaning on the book, or leaning on the back, watching him under her lashes, like centipedes, with her slight contemptuous smile, while her feet pawed idly at the slippers she had cast on the floor. He could not afford emotionally to remember her in the book. Did I say poodle? Well, she did a jolly job of altering him. Oh, the book has made me ill. His sex pride, his intellectual uh, fatuity, all those babes knocking on his bedroom door. He still tries to pass off a crude bunch of lies to a world who would not know the difference. He grew to hate Paulette, who I think was one of his wives. I thought it was interesting that she basically called him out for being, like, pathetic. Mm, Good for her. Yeah. I I think it makes sense that, you know, at 18, she was like, wow, this guy. And then she, you know, got older and met some other guys and was like, oh, that wasn't. Yeah. Now now I've got, like, a basis. (laughs) Sometimes you you really need to grow up a little and kind of come out of a situation to be able to look back and be like, oh, that was problematic. (laughs) That was not good. Yeah. I also think any, like, older dude who's, like, crazy about 18-year-olds. Yeah. I'm mm. like, what is this? What's going on with you, bud? Like, like it seemed like that during that time. It was, like, the 18-year-old women would go out and just try to find the richest guy in the club. And that would be their boyfriend for the week. And they would buy them stuff. Like, one time, Louise Brooks had a boyfriend who bought her a full-length, or she wanted a full-length mink coat. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I mean, the only purpose of dating these people, they were asking for stuff. Sure. So she asked this guy, it's like, I want a full length mink coat. And he gave her a short one uh-uh. and she was really pissed. So <laughs> when she went to the club, she just told everyone, the first person that could get this mink coat, you can keep it. She did it like right in front of her boyfriend. To, like, oh my God. Established dominance. I mean, look, she communicated her needs. Yeah. And it was not received. <laughs> so I think she was pretty clear. But also at the time, a lot of the women would get stuff from men, like diamonds and rings, and they would go to a shop and copy it for really cheap and then sell oh, whatever jewelry those men gave Ooh. them and wear the fake ones nice. and just keep the cash. Yeah. So the women knew what they were doing. That's, that's smart. smart. That's smart. Yeah. yeah. Damn. The copies is the thing I wouldn't have thought of on my own. Yeah. yeah. You, <laughs> just, like, you would just talk the authentic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I read that Genius. and I was like, okay, t- okay, think that for later on in life. <laughs> <laughs> just in case. Because you can't let them know that you sold it. So you have to be like, look at I wear it all the time. There was literally a jewelry shop that was specialized in that. Nice. For all the young women. Uh, Listeners, if you would like to send us gifts, (laughs) we will accept diamonds and full-length mink coats. Thank you, thank you. Only full-length, guys. If it's short, it goes in the trash. Period. She's not kidding. Just kidding. I will sell it. (laughs) (laughs) And we have, like, another little uh, excerpt from a, a letter that she wrote on Chaplin. Basically, she says, that such a barren little man could have produced such a monumental collection of work is beyond belief. 
Uh, I have been so busy defending him over the last decades that I had forgotten until I read his book how very vulgar and cheap he was. Burn. Mm. I think, yeah, I think in retrospect she was like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> ew, gross. Not into it. So around 1925, she begins an affair with Walter Wagner, who is a very powerful Paramount producer and also married to actress Justine jo- Johnston. Will? Um, so there's a theme. Mm-hmm. He sees the potential in her and he asks her to do a screen test for them. And from that screen test, two studios actually wanted to give her a contract, MGM and Paramount. And Wagner wanted her to go to MGM because he didn't want her to have any like special treatments. But she took that as him hating her and thinking she's a bad actress and Ooh. didn't want her at the Paramount Studios. Ouch. So in spite of that, she got really mad and was like, I'm going to go with Paramount then. Oh, um, well, that backfired. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So her earliest surviving film is called Love Them and Leave Them, in which she plays a sly shop assistant using her natural charms to make her way into the world. Which is kind of great. Yeah. I mean, that her first, yeah. Yeah, her first movie's called Love Them and Leave Them. Love Them and Leave Them, mm-hmm. which is, you know, precursor to the rest of her life. Yeah. As far as, like, him asking for a screen test, they did uh, ask. It was, like, a thing that they told all of the dancers that if a man comes up to you and is like, hello, ma'am, I'd like to uh, give you a screen test, that you were supposed to run far away. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that was, like, a creepy, like, sort of pickup line. Yeah. and Which is, like... I don't know if people still do this because it's so easy to check. Mm. But when I moved to LA, that was one of the things people warned you is like, don't talk to anyone that says they're an agent mm. and like give you your card or a producer. Yeah. Because that was the same exact scam. But now it's like, I could literally go on my phone and like go on IMDb yeah, and go. Yeah, check their credits first, then mm. give them a screen yeah. test. Yeah. Well, also, it's not that hard to get an IMDb credit. <laughs> That's true. If you're yeah, really after true. just being listed as a producer on something on IMDb. <laughs> but I got pro IMDb. So she really knows. Check. Okay, yeah, you're ready. You're nice. ready. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of like the, the first like casting couch. Yeah. Type bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad that they were talking about it. Like, yeah, so leave. Do not get out of here. Go, go, go. Yeah. Thus began her her career at Paramount. Her first film, actually, was The Street of Forgotten Men, where she played the girlfriend of a small crook. But she quickly started getting more supporting roles, like, very quickly. Fan magazines at the time went crazy for Louise, described her as, she's so very Manhattan, very young, exquisitely hard-boiled, her black eyes and sleek black hair are as brilliant as Chinese lacquer. And she was just 19 at the time. Man, she's she lived so much so quickly. Mm-hmm. I know, before she turned 20, yeah, it was just like, I guess you start working at 14, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. I know. You have all this experience. Yeah, and I love that they think that she's still Manhattan when it was very... She was from Kansas. Yeah. And she tried very hard to become a Manhattan person. She had a Kansas accent that people used to make fun of her for. And she, like, paid this soda jerk guy to teach her how to speak properly because he was going to university while he was uh, working at the soda shop. And she, uh, she was like, you teach me. Stop making fun of how I, I talk. You teach me how to speak properly. Wow. And when people made fun of her clothes, at one point she like took $500 and she went to like this shop that she saw that had the nicest dresses in New York and she like put the $500 down and it's like, dress me. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty, pretty women, woman of her. Yeah. Yes. So she was very determined to be Manhattan, but I think that, and it worked. It worked, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Going yeah. back to the fact that she was also very young at the time, uh, she was interviewed for one of these fan magazines about this movie that she had been uh, signed for. And she's quoted as being like, they think I'm going to play it, but I'm not. I'm not going to play a part where I ra- race around a funny man all the time, and I won't. And then she did. Yes. So <laughs> I think it's... Yeah. Well, if she was already contracted. I don't yeah. Know. She was already contracted. I think she was just trying to like start some shit. Sure. And get a little bit more attention or something, probably for the part. Also, I, I think it also, she, she was contracted, but she's one of those women that, like, oh, you mean I have to do stuff? Like, <laughs> I can't just say yes or no to each project. I have to do each project. I don't have a say in it. Right. Um, Studio system. Which uh, the film was Old Army Game 
with WC Fields, and she already worked with WC Fields. He was actually one of the performers in one of the Follies, and so they already had a relationship. She used to go to his dressing room and drink liquor and dance around, and he was infatuated with her at the time. Oh. But on that movie, uh, the director, Eddie Sutherland, fell madly in love with her. Of course, yeah. And he proposed to her Whoa. by the end of the film, wow. and she said no. <laughs> Yeah, she was like, write me a better part next time. <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't stop him because he kept courting her. Mm. And eventually she did say yes. Oh, he's going to wear him down. Mm-hmm. Oh, old, old faithful method. Yeah, and so <laughs> they got married July 21st, 1926 in New York. So she was still 19 at the time. I don't have his age, but... Uh, so Probably I, old. Yeah. So they got married pretty quick, and then 48 hours after they got married, he had to leave to Hollywood to go make a film, and she had to stay in New York because she was making another film. So within 48 hours, they were already (laughs) separated, and she continued to live life as if she was single. Wow. But good for her, too, because it's like you're just working within kind of the societal structure that you've been given. It's like, oh, you're fucking whoever you want? Great. Me, too. Also, I think that, like, with Eddie, he was already big time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And she lovingly talks about the parties they used to hold. Like, mm. he would have the best parties and invite the best people. And I think she might have loved that lifestyle a little more than Eddie. Because yeah. she, she talks about it a lot. Like, every story starts off with, Eddie had a party. <laughs> <laughs> and then he invited, you know, Marion Davis and, and Hearst and... So she maybe wanted more in on the party Mm -hmm. life and not so much of the, you know, married life. Yeah. Right. The Hollywood married life. But she was friends with William Hurst and his wife and would go to the Hurst Castle. Have you guys ever been to the Hurst Castle? No. Yeah. It's a cool place. I assume it's in New York? No, it's here. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's like like northern, a little northern. Okay. Three hours away. Yeah. Sounds like a road trip. It, yeah. yeah, it was it was cool. So at the time, uh, Louise Brooks came into the group that uh, William Hurst and Marion Davies uh, used to have. They had like a very wealthy group in Hollywood. In Hollywood. Um, so she used to party at the Hearst Castle all the time, mm-hmm. and she made friends mostly with uh, Marion Davies' niece, Peppy Letterer, who was a, a lesbian and had um, is rumored that they had an affair. Oh. Mm-hmm. Because they spent a lot of time together. And Peppy would, like, take her on trips and stuff, too. Mm. And Peppy also kind of collected people. Nice. Use, and using her her aunt's uh, lover's place and just invite them to the Hearst Castle. I love how often, like, we've been <laughs> digging into love lives of historical figures. And it's like, yeah, everyone was just fucking everyone. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, they had, she had what, was she a lesbian? No, did she have an affair? With a woman? Yeah. 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 Great. Because it was, just, it was a different time. Yeah. I yeah. love it. It's like, More sure. fluid. Hearst also actually liked Louise Brooks, too. And on multiple occasions, he tried to get with Louise, but she also didn't want to ruin this. So mm. she was like, no. Yeah. yeah. And she I didn't mean, want Marion. Nice to party. Yeah. Nice to party. Marian, she didn't want also Marion to hate her. So she was like, mm, I know how she is. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going to even tempt this. Uh, Jack Pickford, Mary Pickford's brother, uh, came and she spent the night with Jack Pickford. And she's still married to Eddie Sutherland during the time. And Peppy told everyone. Oh, <laughs> uh, Peppy, come it. on. Damn it, Peppy. <laughs> Be Peppy, a gal. Peppy was kind of a drama starter. She uh, yeah. she told Eddie. Oh. <laughs> and she told Jack's girlfriend at the time. Oh. Um, Bebe Daniels. Sounded like Peppy was a little jealous. <laughs> mm. No. Well, Peppy, it's like later on in life. Peppy, um, so Hearst and Davies found out that Peppy was a lesbian, and they sent her to a psych, like a, a drug, a psych ward, but for drug addiction. Okay. And she commits suicide there. Oh boy! Yeah. No. At the age of twenty-five. Oh. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, and Brooks was really affected by this because yeah, they were Brooks, actually really, they were really like close, best friends at the time. So. I read I read something that said that whenever Peppy died, Brooks was kind of like fuck Hollywood. Like mm, I don't yeah. want to be hanging around these people. Right. This, I don't. This like atmosphere of is like, toxic. Un- yeah. 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 Not, and so they found out she was lesbian, and that's why they sent her to yeah. rehab. 
Yeah. Because she had cool. a lover at the time that would travel with her. Mm. And um, at the and the lover, she said that the moment they, like, took her to the psych ward, Peppy, like, gave her her ring. And Brooks was like, you knew, you know that ring she never took off. Mm. So you knew something was wrong. She right. already knew yeah. what she was going to do. And they had, like, love letters to each other that uh, Hearst and Davies uh, destroyed, too. Uh, Between Peppy, Peppy and, and, and her lover. And Brooks? Oh, and her lover. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Man, fuck rich people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. He's yeah. so awful. Also, yeah. fuck rich dudes. Yeah. Fuck rich I'll dudes. Say it. Yeah. Also, yeah. yeah. Uh, Davies was also kind of that. Davies? <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. That's true. Also, this is your lover's niece. Mm. I think Hearst was still married at the time. So, cool. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Ugh. Great. Um, anyway. Yeah. Comedy podcast. <laughs> yes. So, after that, fun times. She made a film called Beggars of Life, which she would later say is one of her favorite films that she worked on because it was like the first real film that she got to be the lead in. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, though, even though she loved working on that film, her co-star hated her. Uh, Richard Arlen, who was very jealous of her rising fame, he once told her that she was a bad actress, wasn't good looking, and her eyes were too close together. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he was... I think he was really jealous of her moving up in the, uh, like, in, within the studio system. Mm-hmm. And he, he also said that, like, the only reason she has this part is because she was friends with Walter Wagner. Mm-hmm. Like, Paramount is giving her all this stuff while he's a hardworking actor who's only getting paid $400 while she's going around in these limos with black satin sh- uh, seats. So, uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, look, we've all run into those those I'm gonna say dudes again those dudes who are like you're only getting this because of this reason I actually mm-hmm. dated a guy once um he was a comedian uh, back in New England and he uh he literally said I, we're both funny we're both professional and we're both nice why are you getting booked at this club and I'm not and I'm like because I'm good he's like or Ugh. or is it because you're a girl I'm like oh he's like well the booker wants to fuck you he literally said the booker wants to fuck you I'm like, yeah. um, probably, but also I'm good. Also, I'm, yeah. Also, I'm good. Anyway, uh, yeah. I got a lot of work from that club, so <laughs> he did not. So we're good. So, but also like, your eyes are too close together is one of those bones where it's like you look, you dug deep to find a flaw. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, and you're not even that good looking. Your eyes are a little close. <laughs> yeah, Showing your hand. I think her fan clubs would really disagree with that. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, during the production, she actually does have a one-night stand with a stuntman. Nice. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> but the next day, the stuntman, actually in front of a bunch of extras, mm-hmm. tells her that he is afraid that he contracted a venereal disease from her oh. because she he heard that she was sleeping with a producer the weekend before, which was like he named a producer that she's like, I've never heard of. I've Pet- never met the man. Gee, yeah. yeah some, oh, wow. I feel like that was maybe even like, I mean, maybe I'm digging too deep on this one, but like her co-star, Richard Arlen, I feel like that was. Like his doing. Like his doing. Yeah. Mm. Ugh. So I just don't understand. Like you slept with her and then like in front of people in the lobby of their hotel, he's like, yeah, I think I caught something from you. Ugh. But literally, you don't know the next day. Yeah. Right. I mean, it takes time, <laughs> It takes right? time. Well, yeah. it was more like he was like, I heard you sleep around more than I, he just added the the venereal disease. Yeah, just to like, be an, like extra, an extra burn on there. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. When I uh, went home with you after just meeting on set, I had no idea that you slept around. <laughs> yeah. There was no way for me to anticipate that from the activities we did last night. <laughs> I thought I was the only other person. Yeah, yeah more other persons. Man, it's also uh. like, dude, she she let you fuck her. Yeah, yeah. I, ass. I thought it was just your husband and me. No, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um. But Read also, the room. also uh. that gave more fuel to her co-star hating her. Because he was actually really, apparently close friends with her husband. So that's why also he hated her. Because he's like, well, she's sleeping with men on set. And poor Eddie is waiting at home. Sleeping with women on set. So I yeah. have a question about the husband. Yeah. So she he was told of one of her other affairs, right? Mm-hmm. So he didn't leave her then? 
They were they stayed married. Well, they eventually got divorced. They yeah. were married only two years. Oh, gotcha. And I think this is a busy two years. I mean, her whole yeah, like <laughs> teens and twenties were bananas busy. But yeah, on do you want to talk about Beggars of Life more? It's something that I thought was interesting about it was I'm <laughs> going yeah, into it, it uh, is that in. The film, she plays like a woman who has killed her rapist, who then has to go undercover as like a hobo in order to like run from the law from killing this man. Wow. And so she goes uh, undercover as a male hobo and like has these times riding the rails with this other hobo. And I just think it's like an interesting, uh, I don't know what the word is. What's the word that I'm looking for? Not allegory, but like. Parallel? Parallel to like her life, like. Because I do think that she uh, fucked like a man at the time. Does that make sense? Like where she just was like, she yeah. Was, she's promiscuous and not ashamed of it. She was not ashamed of yeah. her, of owning her sexuality. And I think it's an interesting movie that she, or it, it's interesting that she loved this movie so much because she did play a man in it. And I think it was a bit of a, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know she what I'm trying to say. She played a victim of sexual assault. She played a victim of sexual assault. Which she was. Which she was, who then went on to like, I don't know live this life sort of as a man. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, how does the movie end? Not well, I don't think. Oh. Okay. Is, well. Yeah, I don't know how the movie Because I was going to say it's, like, pretty interesting that even back then, though, while it's definitely, like, a very tired trope to right. be, like, yeah. some woman has some sexual assault, and that's an inciting incident, and not just something horrible you shouldn't put in a fucking movie. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting that there would be a movie where a woman defends herself against sexual assault and is viewed where we're like following her and her journey right. after that. And also being like, the law is against her, but she's right. Right, yeah. yeah. Which is, I think, kind of yes. a cool idea to have a, in a movie in the 20s. Yeah, because yeah. most of it was like, you know, the lady getting saved from the train tracks kind of. Mm-hmm ideal of silent movies yeah. with the right. bad guy with the curly yeah, yeah just, <laughs> like they're oh no some man saved me but this one was like oh she's kind of saving herself in this movie yeah That's she's nice. like found a way to survive yeah within a like the context of like a man's world or yeah. something yeah right. and an acknowledgement that those consequences because like society doesn't want women to save themselves <laughs> true yeah yeah but i think that the the point of that movie was also it kind of went against what her mom said to her when yeah. she was nine when she yeah. was you know when she was molested yeah you know the mom said it's your fault and the movie was like yeah not that say it was like it, i don't know what i'm trying to uh, i know exactly yeah, yeah it's just hard to it's hard to articulate yeah she did she got to defend herself yeah, yeah. as that character she got yeah. to defend and it sucked that it, that because of how society views you know oh god this is a tough topic guys i know <laughs> i know it is they're gonna it's have tough. some uh, I wonder if that role was cathartic for her for that reason, that she got to, she played a character who got to fight back mm-hmm. and uh, she wasn't, you know, a child who was assaulted and told it was her fault. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think so. I think, I think, I mean, it, she looks back on that, the time filming fondly, mm-hmm. despite all of the drama with Arlen. Arlen, yeah. Being um, a total tool. So she once said, that love is a publicity stunt and making love after the first curious rapture is only another petulant way to pass the time waiting for the studio to call. <laughs> so basically that's her thought process of uh, relationships. Mm. Um, she also said once said that my name is Mary Louise Brooks. Don't ca- be calling me Mrs. Sutherland. Oh, Ooh. all right. She, yes. own, she was very much her own person. Yeah, yeah. she was very independent. And <laughs> so she... Divorced Eddie after that, after mm. the film. And they were only married for two years. All right. Should we talk about the Canary murder case? Yes. Okay. Right. So in 1929, uh, after everything with like the hearse and with Eddie, uh, she made a movie called The Canary Murder Case. She was already kind of disenchanted with Hollywood at the time. And this and Paramount was like, I want we want to make this a talkie. And she was like, I'm really not interested in that. Yeah, this is after they filmed the whole thing. They were going yeah. back and and, and, oh, and, yeah. like, and the first ADR. Yeah, yeah. Oh. that's where most talkies in the beginning came from. Is like they a lot of studios went back to their silent films and tried to convert them into talkies. Sure, to like ride that wave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was just like, "No, I don't want to go back to this movie and refilm a bunch of stuff." 
And at the time, she had started dating George Marshall, who was a young laundry magnet. So he had a laundry Ooh. empire. And then later owns the Washington Redskins football team. I was more impressed by that laundry thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got money. He's got, yeah, he's got money. So he started to manage her financial affairs. And because her time at Paramount was almost up, her contract was almost up. He was like, you either go in there and ask for like a crazy raise and they give it to you and you stay. Or if they don't give you the raise, leave Paramount and go to Germany because there's this director who is really interested in your work and really wants you to be in some of his films in Germany. And so she went to Paramount and was like, give me a raise. And they're like, no. And she's like, fine, I'm quitting. And they're like, what? And then she's like hopping on a plane to Berlin. Nice. Yeah. Good. Ask for those raises. I know. Yeah. The funny thing about that, though, is that George Marshall wanted her to go to Germany because he just wanted a trip to Germany. Uh, <laughs> just wanted him, to go. Him as a laundry magnet couldn't, like, get a plane ticket. He just wanted an excuse to party in, in uh, Germany. I mean, okay. Yeah. I think, well, yeah. I think we're all looking for an excuse to go to 1920s Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> Prime cabaret time. Well, it sounds like it was the time. Yeah. I mean, it was a very sexually liberal, liberated place. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. G.W. Patz was the director of Pandora's Box. He was a German director. Um, he really wanted Louise Brooks for this part. So Pandora's Box was a play in Germany, a very famous play about an actress who kind of just takes everyone down with her. Oh, um, yeah. So Germany was mad that he was looking to American actresses because mm. they wanted a German woman to play this very famous German part. Sure. Um, but he wasn't sure he was going to get Louise Brooks and he was actually going to sign Marlene Dietrich oh. for the part. And she was literally in the office when Louise Brooks, she was about to sign the contract <gasps> to the movie when Louise Brooks t- <gasps> accepted it and he was like, nope. I mean, I'm having Louise. <laughs> I mean, that's like a scene from a movie. Yeah. yeah. Yes, there. Oh. In Pandora's Box, the lead character is Lulu. Mm-hmm. And Lulu is a young woman so beautiful and alluring that few can resist her siren charms. And when Lulu's charms inevitably lead to tragedy, the downward spiral encompasses them all. Uh, and so it's it's kind of a tragic... It's a, yeah. It's a tragic film. It mm. has such a great ending. The though. ending, I... The ending is her... She's like... She's a streetwalker because her life has gone to crap. Okay. You do, and you do what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. And it's Christmas. And she sees a man and it's Jack the Ripper. Oh, boy. And she like brings him back and he's like, I have no money for this. And she's like, it's okay. It's Christmas. Oh. I just want someone with me. Sure. And it's basically, it ends with Jack the Ripper killing her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man! She's done so much terrible shit in that movie. Wow! That that's the ending that's of her the life. End of her life. And it's funny because like she was, I mean, it was coming from a selfish place, but like <laughs> she's like, yeah, we could fuck for free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then like he repays her by killing her. So mm-hmm. kar- karmically, it makes sense. But uh, yeah. yeah, ouch! You know, she does a nice thing. And yeah. why would Jack the Ripper clarify that he doesn't have money? He's not gonna pay them anyway. Well, oh. I think Jack the Ripper is <laughs> Jack the Ripper is very transparent. Maybe oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I he's like all bringing out a knife thing, like just so you know. And she's like, I got it, I got it. <laughs> got it. Maybe because it was Christmas, and he's like, I'm not working. <laughs> off for the holidays. Hey, yeah. that checks out. Serial killers get Christian holidays off. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> Them's the rules. <laughs> Something that I thought was interesting about, like, that last scene uh, from Pandora's Box where Jack the Ripper comes up to her apartment is that Pabst, who was directing it, was, like, this genius director who she really admired and who she said was one of the only people that she's worked with who respected her and, like, saw that she was an artist and Mm. was excited for her to play this part. That's probably true. So he was really observant and there was an actor who came on set and she he saw that Louise had chemistry with him and he was like great this is my Jack the Ripper so he specifically like like chose an actor who he knew Louise was attracted to to play Jack the Ripper in this scene and Louise said that of all of Pandora's box this was the best scene to shoot because uh it was super intimate but she had this like chemistry with 
with this actor. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what I'm trying, like, yeah, what I'm was, trying to get at. But I think just. He's just good. He, he knew her. He, he knew, knew how her, to get to yeah. her. He also, like, took one of her favorite suits. Yes, I love and that. destroyed it. Papst. Papst did. To, uh, and have her wear it at the ending scene so she would feel awful. Oh. Like she was like, in rags. Yeah. Wow. Um, I hope he replaced that suit. I think he, I don't know if he did <laughs> or not. Yeah, I, I hope think, she got paid well. It was like well. a tailored suit. <sighs> but I think it was, I just, I really, of all the research, I thought their relationship was really interesting. Because mm-hmm. he did, I don't know, he, he just, it sounded like he really respected her and wanted to give her this platform. Also with Pandora's Box, it might have had like the first lesbian Oh yes, in a silent in a film, yeah, where there is a character that's in love with Lulu, uh, a woman costume designer, mm. and at one point they do like it's Lulu's wedding, and she asks her to dance, yeah, and the the two women are dancing while like the woman that's in love with Lulu is infatuated with Lulu, and Lulu is looking at her husband like, hmm, yes, <laughs> this is what we're doing right now. Um, are you jealous? Mm. Yeah, yeah, they do like a tango. Mm-hmm. Nice. Interesting. I want to watch that movie. I it's know. One of my favorite films. Um, I suggest every listener to watch it. <laughs> it is great. So one night in Paris, uh, Pabst took Brooks to a club where she met a writer named Frederick Townsend Martin. So she asked the waiter to bring this guy over, and he refused because he was like at dinner with his wife, who was like this snooty English woman, right? <laughs> so finally he comes over <laughs> and is like, I'm terribly sorry, Louise. I couldn't leave Daisy alone. And she takes a bouquet of roses that Pabst had given her earlier in the night and hits Martin as hard as, as, hard as she could across the face. Oh! Yeah, like, it just, I, <laughs> maybe to put him in his place. Also, he bled. why not? He bled. He bled. <laughs> oh, boy. And it says, Eric, from the research, I don't know how to. What? Um, oh, it was an interview. interview. It was an interview, yeah. She, uh, she actually was talking about it. That's Is that from the interview? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Martin took it in stride and was like, ha ha, she's so funny. But Pabst was furious. That, this that is what, she ruined the flowers? No, like, that so he, he embarrassed him in the yeah. club. Oh. He couldn't keep this woman down, you know? Ugh. So this is what she wrote about it. She, she goes, uh, so what do I do? I'm in a terrific mood. So I decided to banish his disgust by giving him the best sexual performance of my career. I jump into the hay and deliver myself to him body and soul. He acted as if he'd never experienced such a thing in his life. You know how men want to pin medals on themselves when they excite you. They get positively radiant. The next morning, Paps was so pleased he couldn't see straight. So it's like, (laughs) it is like, I just feel like that was such like an honest way of assessing like, yeah. He was so mad, and then I fucked his brains out, and then he was in love with me again. It's fine. The great thing <laughs> is, this is a, a interview that she recorded. Mm-hmm. And she's in her seventies, ah! just saying this. I'm like, oh, that's, amazing. That's great. <laughs> if you're interested in her, you yeah. should look for this documentary. Mm-hmm. It's great. Well, maybe we can share it on our socials. Yeah, we should. Yes, she's like a wily old lady. Yeah. Run, mm-hmm. Like, yeah. so that was all after Pandora's box that that happened, mm-hmm. and then she was actually waiting. Paps had set up a movie for her, and she was yeah. actually in Paris at the time waiting for this movie to be made, um, but the money wasn't there yet. So mm-hmm. she was just there taking promo photos of yeah. a film that hasn't even started. Great. Doesn't have funding. Great. Yeah. But, Did she end up filming it? But they do end up, in, because yeah. afterwards, after that uh, at the, after that sexual encounter, it puts a fire into Paps again, and he's like, okay, we're going to get this movie made. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so he sends up another movie with her and they worked together for a diary of a lost girl but by the time they started the movie she already had a lover so paps was a little furious with that because he's like we just had this great night (laughs) i'm i worked really hard to get this movie now and you come back and you're already sleeping with someone else i should have gotten that funding faster Mm -hmm. that's what he should have thought yeah exactly should work faster next time so you know they made the movie but paps was still like you know a little a little mad at the last day of filming paps let her have it and he warned her that her life was exactly like lulu and it would end the same way that he didn't like her partying and how she was taking her acting she wasn't taking her acting seriously and so she did not like hearing that so she went back to the united states and was like bye paps we're not gonna make another movie well yeah. Stick to your guns. You yeah. should take acting more yeah. seriously and continue to sleep with your director. <laughs> yeah. But 
even though these movies are classics and um, brilliant, nobody was watching silent movies from Germany mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. So when she came back, like she was kind of forgotten already. She yeah. was already like left too too long. How long was she in Germany? Oh, like two years? Two years or wow. something. And when she came back, they were still dubbing the Canary Murder Case. <laughs> so they were like, hey, do you want to come back and we'll use your voice? And she was like, hell no, I don't want to do that movie. Still no. <laughs> Still no. So they found somebody else to do all of her voiceover for it. <laughs> and then she was kind of like shunned by Paramount. Yeah, they did not like that she wasn't easy to work with. Yeah. So. So um, Paramount executives were angry and they started a rumor that the reason why she wasn't talking in her The Canary Murders was because she didn't have a good voice. Oh. That uh, she was bad at bad at the talkies. Jeez. And I'm they, having like singing in the rain flashback. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with my voice? <laughs> yeah, so no one would hire her yeah. at that time. And she got like, she did get a couple of like bit parts, but it's, Nothing to the extent of what she probably deserved, yeah, and was capable of at at that time. Uh, and it kind of her career kind of like petered out. Mm. And the last movie that she was in, uh, she actually did with a young John Wayne, and it was a western. And by that time, um, but she didn't have her signature bob at the time. Either, yeah, she so didn't nobody even look like herself. Nobody mm. recognized her. She had a kind of like a Betty Page kind of look to her. Mm. But I just feel like it was. I don't know, like Hollywood trying to mold this woman into yeah. what they thought she should be and try to like tame her mm. at, by casting her out, which um, I feel like it still kind of does. Yeah. Probably, yeah. I mean, look at like, this is just my my take, but like like Lindsay Lohan and Amanda Bynes are like two like young actresses who kind of got used up and then kind of went a little crazy and Hollywood was like, get out of here. Yeah, yeah, instead of like helping. Instead of helping, they were just like, "Look at how crazy she is. She can't handle this." Mm -hmm. And you're like, mm, mm. "It's oh, a lot stuff that's happening." Oh, but you like, know? she wasn't even doing. She was just like giving her opinions to studios, and that's yeah. what they found made yeah. her difficult to work with. She was like, "This making this movie into a talkie is a bad idea artistically," mm -hmm. and they were like, "She's so difficult. <laughs> She's yeah. the worst. Also, like, give me a raise." Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Give, give, I'm leaving to Germany. Like, right. If you just give her the, give her what she feels like she's worth. Yeah. Yeah. Give her a raise. That's basically why she didn't do the talkies. She's like, well, you let me go so easily. You didn't fight for me. You didn't get, offer me any money. Yeah. You just said no. And I'm like, peace. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Like, uh, when, like, Catherine Heigl, like, just, like, to some TMZ reporter was like, yeah, I don't really think that the writing was that great this season. And Hollywood was like, well, she'll just fuck her forever. Yeah. But and her career, like, she got prouds, but, like, her career never really recovered from, like, this idea that went around was, like, she's she's difficult because she, like, offhandedly was, like, not great. Yeah, like, she didn't have much of a, I agree, she didn't have a storyline. Yeah, it was a like, bad season. <laughs> the idea that, like, women have to be thankful yeah. for, yes. Yeah, it just, it's dated, but it is still it's Still happening. very, very yeah. real. <laughs> so, um, studios weren't hiring her. By 1932, she was bankrupt. Um, she went back to, oh, she, and so in 19, 1933, she moved to Chicago where she was doing ballroom dancing and she met Deering Davis, a Chicago playboy, a millionaire. She would marry him, even though she claims she doesn't know why she just did. Uh, <laughs> well, um, uh, he has money. Yeah. <laughs> money. It's just, he was Mentioned. there. She was bankrupt. Mm. There's a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, but the marriage only lasted five months. Oh, it was wow. very short. Damn. Um, she then, in 1936, she returned to Hollywood, and that's when she did the her last film, The Westerns, mm -hmm. with John Wayne. But by then, of course, nobody remembered her and nobody recognized her. And she finally gave up and went home to Wichita, Kansas, where yeah. she would start um, teaching how to dance, and her brother Theodore would help her buy a studio. But that was also short-lived because she was very short-tempered, and she would bully her students. So oh. nobody would want to take classes from her studio, and she had to close it. Oh, she's not very maternal. <laughs> no, yeah. No, coming from where she came from with that mom. She wrote uh, about going back to Kansas, uh, but that turned out to be another kind of hell. The citizens of Wichita either resented me having been a success or despised me for being a failure, and I wasn't exactly enchanted with them. I must confess to a lifelong curse, my own failure as a social creature. So she went back to Kansas and then was like, no, no, I shouldn't have been back here. Yeah. And then she went to New York, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and that's basically where she stayed for the rest of her life. She went back to New York in about 1944, and she was still pretty poor. She did some radio. She worked for a gossip, co- gossip columnist, and it was even rumored that she had a short stint as an escort. But basically, she would just seclude herself drinking gin. Her neighbor would describe her as a barfly. But in the 1920s, actually, she had an affair with William Paley. And during this time, in the 1940s, she called him up and told him of her struggles. She event- he would eventually give her a stipend for the rest of her life to live on. So nice. she has money, that's but she a, would seclude herself. It's a nice ex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn. And then, like, it kind of comes, I mean, it goes real high real fast and mm. then low when she's in New York and she's like you know working these odd jobs and maybe an escort but at the end of her life there was like a film buff who found where she was living and was like I love all of your movies and I want to interview you and I want you to be like back in the limelight and so uh, towards the end of her life she got more recognition for her work and she actually had like platforms to talk about it Yeah, and wrote her book and you know it was just like this rare a look into history that she actually had as a film historian mm-hmm. where you can actually go to her and she knew everyone at the time and she could just tell you mm. what happened <laughs> and so that's what she spent most of her life was just telling everyone the heydays of the 1920 films and the parties and the directors and yeah she was like a living history book that's great yeah um and as we've learned here history is very sexy <laughs> <laughs> It can be very that's sexy. the whole point of this. <laughs> I think that's that's the end of uh, yeah. I Louise think that's Brooks. yeah. The okay. best quote that she has is, "I have a gift for enraging people, but if I ever bore you, it will be from a knife." Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I dig that. Yeah. All right. So now yeah. we should move on to our next yeah. segment: a uh, good wholesome game of fuck, marry, kill. <laughs> Who are our contestants today? Why don't we do, uh, do you want to do Chaplin, Pabst, and Edward Sutherland? Yeah, those are good. Okay. Or you want Louise Brooks in it? Oh, we could, well, I mean, we'd all fuck Louise Brooks. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, too easy, too easy. Yeah, let's, uh, so we wouldn't see straight the next day. <laughs> oh. So this and we is, wouldn't be mad. This is Charlie Chaplin. He doesn't actually have his mustache in this picture. Huh. And then. That's is, Edward. This is Edward. Okay. Yeah. And this is Pabst. All right, so that's the German director. German yeah. director. Can you go back? Husband. Husband, and then uh, Chaplin. American director. Fun Chaplin two, is Fun Chaplin. two months slash Predator. Got it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. I think I'll marry Edward. You'd marry Edward? Yeah. Yeah. He seemed nice. It seemed like he left her alone, which I am yeah. looking for in a husband. <laughs> to be like, <laughs> leave me alone. You go do your movies. I'll go do my movies. We'll meet up sometime. <laughs> Yeah, I think I would agree. I would, yeah, I would agree. Mary. He apparently yeah. put like up with a lot of shit too. Yeah, I don't think I would do that much, but it would be nice if someone's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> you go right sure. around, sleep with other bed, no. have fun. But um, that said, I am very, very hesitant to kill Charlie Chaplin because he does make a lot of good movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hate to be that person in Hollywood. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I he did some good work. <laughs> I'd fuck the German director. Pat, I would too. Because if anything, he'd appreciate you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, he'd appreciate the gesture. Yeah. And like he could never stay mad at you. Yeah, you that's know? true. You know? He so understands gonna, yeah. women, apparently. He knows how to also, yeah, it seemed like I'll, he actually like picked up on her actual desires and like knew how to channel that, which yeah. is yeah. And he also respected her as an artist. Yeah. And that's pretty sexy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, sure. So I'm gonna kill Chaplin. That's I'm gonna. Yeah. I know. I think I'm gonna have to yeah. I love Chaplin's films, but as a person, he kind of sucked. So, yeah. yeah. Oh hey, man. Maybe. All right, Pete Chaplin. You know what? You know what? We got. We got Buster Keaton. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I will <laughs> fuck Buster Keaton. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It's not even Buster part Keaton of will this. Live. <laughs> yep. But. Also, you could you could kill Chaplin after he makes right. Yeah, yeah we're in the know, timeline. It's anywhere. Am I? Oh yeah. Then just what? Yeah, fuck him. Yeah, there's no. Yeah, there's kill no him. timeline. Kill him. Kill him. I mean, I mean, kill him. Not fuck him. <laughs> I'm fuck gonna the director. kill Chaplin, but from natural causes. It's <laughs> well, nice. And after his movie career is about done, I am God. So his filmography is intact. Yeah. Doesn't yeah? Doesn't need to be all of them. I just it would be a shame to get rid of all the Chaplins. You know. Sure. 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 <laughs> 
right, shall we move on to some 20s themed pickup lines? Yeah. Yeah. That we all definitely wrote. Yeah, I definitely have Speaking some. Speaking of Buster, Buster Keaton, I want to bust your Keaton. All right. Okay. Yeah. Nice, yeah. The direct. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, here's my pickup line. That was a silent film pickup line. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, that really worked on me. Melinda's <laughs> <laughs> down. Do you want to get into some dirty talkies? Yes. Yeah. Please. <laughs> Great. I accept. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Savannah. Hey there, fella. You want me to uh, put you on the silver screen? Why don't, we, why don't you come over here and we'll do a screen test? Ooh. I don't know. Yeah. Mama told me never to do that with a man. Well, well I think it's fine because you're as if you're a lady. I'm a lady test, producer, and I'm that's asking. Fine. That's fine. <laughs> doesn't matter the gender. Doesn't matter the gender. <laughs> Just remember that doesn't matter the yeah, gender. Yeah, women can sexual be creeps too. It is true. Sexual harassment. True. It's 2020 now. It's 2020. Uh, women can be creeps too. Do you want to come over and open my Pandora's box and see what comes out? <laughs> Nice. Yes, I do. Cool. Ob- objectively, yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I uh, I don't have any money, but it's Christmas, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So let's oh, do man. this. Is this gonna have to be the Christmas episode because of the Jack the Ripper <laughs> stuff? <laughs> Christmas New Year's. Christmas New Year's. Christmas is recent enough. Uh, <laughs> Well, that has been the episode for today. Uh, thanks for joining us. I have been Lauren. I have been Sarah. I'm Nalinda. And I'm Savannah. Until next time. Bye. 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 If you want to play this week's Fuck, Mary Kill along with us, uh, we will be posting those pictures on our Twitter at Historical Hooks and our Instagram at Historical Hookups. We want to hear your answers.